I took the lead. Where's a good station? Somebody's heart. Glorious. Glorious. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again. Relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Defenders of Grace. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. My name's Bill. And I'm here with longtime buddy, Guard Dog Steve. Hello, everybody. And once again, you're here, too. That's what makes this thing a beautiful thing. It's you guys. We appreciate you so much. You don't know. Yes, we do. Well, Steve, I was thinking about the last couple podcasts. They're kind of some heavy subjects we hit upon. We started out a couple weeks ago with how do we start our day And we went into Matthew 6 about the first thing you do is seek seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Things like, what do I wear? What do I eat? Things that every person on the planet faces every morning when they get up. And then Jesus said, nothing wrong with those seeking those things. Because your father knows you need them, for one, and everyone needs them. But he does say, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I remember you mentioned Romans fourteen seventeen: the kingdom of God is not actually what do I eat and what do I drink, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the spirit, which is what he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his Righteousness. Right, because I don't know if people really understand the idea of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven that Jesus came down to earth to teach us about. It never was about a far off place out there in the stars in the third heaven. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven was always here on earth and it meant literally the crowd that was around Jesus was the kingdom of God. What Jesus was going to start with all the Christians would be the kingdom of God. And like Jesus always said, the kingdom of God is within you guys. He said that exactly in those terms. And that's where we come up with the idea of the Romans 14, 17, where it says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit who's in you produces the feeling of heaven on earth. The kingdom of God and those feelings are feeling heaven on earth. And that's the first thing you should seek each day. Say, Lord, I want to feel heaven on earth today. I want to be in such a good mood that everybody loves me. Yes, and I think it's Luke 16 where he just says 
verbatim, the kingdom of God is within you. And it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And we spent a little bit of time defining that word righteousness. Yes. Because it, for me, it, it always had a different meaning than what the Bible actually uses. Every time the Bible uses righteousness, at least every example we found, and we went through <laughs> a few hundred of them, it seems to consistently point to the idea that righteousness is covenant related. When you're unrighteous, you've broken the covenant or you've been unfaithful to the covenant. When you're righteousness, you righteous, you have kept the covenant. As opposed to what, Bill? What what would be the other thinking about being unrighteous that we as Christians do? What what do we think about ourselves that's unrighteous? We think of ourselves as unrighteous when we're not doing a priority that someone might put on us. Like, for example, there's a monthly prayer meeting and you go to the monthly prayer meetings fairly regularly. Are you unrighteous if you skip the meeting one time? Things like that. Okay, so it's basically any verb that the the pastor lays on us during the Sunday sermon makes us feel unrighteous. Yeah, that we're not doing something or not quitting something. Yes, that we're not measuring up. Not me- Yes. I just wanted to make sure the distinction was made between our bad habits that we're ashamed of and what righteousness actually meant, that it was breaking that Mosaic covenant that the Israelis had to live under. Exactly, because breaking, committing bad habits over and over again, I guess that defines what a habit is, is a bad habit. Mm -hmm. But it does not meet the definition of unrighteousness. Like you just said, unrighteousness is when you break your end of a covenant. When you have an agreement, a covenant that you swore that you would keep you not a contract necessarily mm-hmm. but a covenant where both parties willingly agree to keep their end of the covenant and let me just go to the bible like we always do that's you know, how we roll that's how we roll yeah let's go to the bible let's be consistent okay i'm looking at deuteronomy 6 and the law the 10 commandments and the law had just been given again and they were told to love the Lord their God with all their hearts, all their mind, all their strength, without exception. And then in verse 24, it says, The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God or reverence the Lord our God. In order that, if we keep this, we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. Verse 25, And if we are careful to obey all of this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. That's what it is. Upholding your end of the covenant. And in that example, that was the Mosaic law. Law. Right. That if 
they kept it and didn't fall short in any area that would be their righteousness. righteousness. Yes, but that's why we went Galatians. To, yes, exactly. One sixteen and following says that no, no one will be declared righteous through works of the law. Three times he says that in verse yeah, 16. I think we should go there because that's the way we roll here at Guardians <laughs> of Grace. <laughs> it is. It, 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 it is. is how we roll. Okay, let me read Galatians chapter 2 and I'll, I'll start in 15. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not declared righteous by works of the law, but through the faith of Christ. Even we who have believed in Christ, that we may be declared righteous by the faithfulness of Christ and not by works of the law, since by works of the law, no human effort will ever be declared righteous. That's three times he said, it doesn't come through. And that's the only way to be unrighteous is to break this. And the only way to be righteous is to fulfill your end of that covenant, which was obey the Mosaic law. And right here it says, nobody is declared righteous through works of the law. And as but let me make sure I got this straight. This is the same Greek word that was used in the Old Testament. If you go to a Greek Septuagint, yeah. it's the exact word Okay, okay. that you will not be declared righteous in Galatians 2.16. In Deuteronomy 26, what we just, no, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 6, where we just read, it says, if you keep all the commandments... You will be, this will be your righteousness. Yes. So righteousness has to do with the covenant. Yes. And we went over, and no before further. we start on this week's podcast, we, we went over Abraham. This is a different covenant. And it says that Abraham was credited with righteousness. He was giving, given a gift called the gift of righteousness. Because the same he, gift we have. Because he had no part in that little covenant that they made. God was going to do it all so he could declare Abraham as righteous because Abraham did not have to live up to his end of that covenant. Which he did not. Which he did not. But God swore with an oath. Yes. And Abraham was asleep. Asleep. Dead asleep. Dead asleep. But he swore with an oath that I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to make you a blessing to all the nations. And we find out later in Galatians that this blessing was called the gift of righteousness. The supreme gift of God. The supreme blessing of God, I mean, is the gift, gift of, of righteousness. righteousness. It is a gift. Can't imp impress how important that is. So there's two covenants. 
primarily in the Bible. Interestingly, even in little side covenants you mentioned in the Old Testament, yes, they use that word too. Right. If right. you if you break a little covenant you have with with someone, yeah, you're considered unrighteous. 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 Yeah. yeah. Okay. Nowhere in the Bible did we find smoking cigarettes as unrighteousness. No. no. So that brings us back to Galatians 2, where we look at what Paul said after saying no one ever got credit for being righteous by observing the law. It never happened. And that was our only hope of being righteous without Christ. But Jesus made us righteous. And that's what Paul talks about. In other words, we've got to unpack the next statement Paul makes because he says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. And we're supposed to be saying the same thing. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, even though I'm looking at myself in the 21st century in the mirror right now. And I'm going, that that's not the truth. It's not the truth. I am alive. You're asking me to lie, Bible. What gives? Yeah, why would I say such a thing? That's why it has to be unpacked. This idea of dying, it was mentioned in Colossians 3. Set your mind on things above, for you died, died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Yeah, Romans 6. Romans 6, he's saying... Don't you know this, that all of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death, buried with him through identification into death, and then it says raised to life yeah. through him? Yeah. yeah. So this idea of our death in Christ is big. Yeah, and it kind of, you could say it's replete. It's in there quite a bit. Quite a bit. Second Corinthians 5.14. Yes. Knowing the love of Christ can tells me because I'm convinced of this one thing that if one died on behalf of all then all died isn't that the same thing as Galatians 2.20 yes Yes. died with Christ all these things are telling me something that is a direct lie because I'm right here I'm not dead and that explains our the way we are freed from this covenant that we can't keep 2.19 through the law I died to the law. Right. Through the law, I died to the law. See, he's always using the notion that he died throughout these epistles. And there again, another textbook example, through the law, I died to the law. If we don't know what he means about the idea that he died, how could we ever understand it? It's to the law. Right. It says it in Romans 7, the law has authority over a person only as long as they live, but if they die, they've been released from this law to earn righteousness, which we could never keep to be declared righteous. Yes. And if you don't know that, that's what Paul says, don't you know this? It's important to know this. So, Today's podcast is going to be on giving that phrase, 
I've been crucified with Christ and all the other phrases that go with it. I died to the law. I've died. My life is hidden in God. All those phrases, we need to give their proper perspective. What are they trying to tell us when we come up to one of these phrases that says, I died? Because you got to admit, you're right here. You yeah. can look in the mirror and see yourself. Right. And we it's not a cliche like, I'm dead to you. No. It has a purpose and a meaning. And the only way really to understand it is you have to get some Old Testament background to see God's point of view, the way he sees things. It's different than the way we see things individually. God has a way of viewing things through something theologians call corporate identity. identity. Yeah. So maybe if we can take a look at some of these. You want to do an Old Testament illustration of corporate identity, what the what the scholars call corporate identity. Yes. Okay. And it has a purpose for seeing it. It's yes. a game changer. It is. It is. Okay. Are you going to find us an Old Testament reference? Yes. Okay. While you're doing that, I just want to make mention that this idea that we died with Christ has a huge judicial aspect to it. We're going to see that it very much gets some of its meaning when you look at it as a judicial decree. We want to keep in mind just that one thought. Okay, let's look at the passage that you're talking about, Bill. Do you want me to describe what is going on? Yeah, look at verse 11. No, Bill, I'll have you read verse 11, but first let me tell the story. A guy named Achan and his family took the plunder from one of the battles and they hid it and they kept it for themselves and they didn't let anybody in Israel know, but they were trying to get away with a theft. They just were trying. One guy, Achan, just Aiken. Aiken. Mr. Aiken did these things. And then Israel went into war with another country and got trashed. And Joshua comes back to God saying, why, why did you trash us, Lord? And verse 11 is God's answer. Now, remember, it was Aiken. Aiken, one singular person. One singular person. This is the way God sees it. Yes. He doesn't say Aiken sinned. He says Israel has sinned. They, not he, they have violated my covenant. Isn't that the definition of acted unrighteous? Yes. Which I commanded them to keep. They, not Aiken, have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have made liable to destruction. Okay, so there you see one person sinned and everybody got credit for that sin. And it's just 
the reverse order with Christ. One person died on the cross, but everybody got credit for that death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. It's an example of what the scholars call corporate identity. That's why in the Bible it can say, one died for all, therefore all died, because Christ was our corporate representative, and he went to God as our sin and took the penalty for being our sins, and he died on the cross for us and corporate identity kicked in. We were all given credit for Christ's death. That's one way Paul could say, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it gets a little more detailed than that. We just wanted to show you the idea of corporate identity. So we're, when we're talking about corporate identity in this particular scenario of Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. One person, Christ, died on behalf of all people. Same thing he says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, that he says, I'm convinced of this, that one died who bear overall. Therefore, the conclusion is everybody died. We need to be convinced of that. And as far as it relates to the covenant, keeping righteousness, one man obeyed the Mosaic Covenant completely, and he was declared righteous. And so that is why righteousness is a gift, because it was done by someone else. But just sticking to this one idea in Galatians 2.20, that I've been crucified with Christ, we saw that this idea goes back to the Old Testament, and that's just one example out of many. Yes. But the, do you see? Cor- Sorry to interrupt. Go the ahead. corporate identity idea is how we can say when we're looking at a living person in the mirror, I've died with Christ. I, I'm, I'm dead because we were given credit through Christ's death. God saw us as dying, but it turns out he literally saw us as dying, and we're going to look at those passages. This story of Achan almost seems unfair. One guy did something, didn't tell the other people what he did, he hid it from them. But they all got credit for it. It seemed unfair, but it was a type and shadow of what Christ would do for us. And they got routed because of one guy. Because the, the truth is... God never viewed the nation of Israel as a bunch of individuals. He always viewed them as one person. The idea of corporate identity is literally on every chapter in the Old Testament. It is. One that jumps to mind is Hosea 11, 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Yeah, you know, that was... close to 4 million people. Yeah. Exactly. The lowest number I've ever heard was 30,000, but most people say 300,000 to 3 million or more, but not God. He saw one One person. person. Let's look at John chapter 12, because in John chapter 12, Jesus says something that's 
off the wall. It, it goes a long way towards teaching us a revelation that we actually need to know about. Okay. It's so off the wall, Steve, that he has to do one of those double amens. Ooh. Found only in the Gospel of John. So after he says a kernel of wheat has to fall to the ground and die, otherwise it just remains a single seed, and now he's right about the time he's going to be crucified, he says, Now is the time for judgment of this world. Now is the ruler of this world cast out. Verse 32, But when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Okay, so he says, If I be lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men to myself. If I be hung on a cross to die for everybody's sins, I will draw them all to myself. Did we ever see anybody get drawn into Jesus when he was up on the cross? No, we didn't, and neither did anyone there. No, no. Look at another curious statement. Jesus says when the two disciples are asking him, can I sit at your right hand or your left hand there in heaven? And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? That's the cup of God's wrath. And can you be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? Remember, Christ had already been baptized. He was talking about another baptism. He tells the disciples, you will drink of that cup and you will be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with. So we have the Apostle Paul saying, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And we've got Jesus saying, if I be lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men to myself and I'm going to be baptized with another baptism and you're going to be baptized with that baptism. All those terms, all those, all those statements have to mean something. They, ha they have to tell us something. They have to picture something. And I believe when we see the picture, we will get the proper perspective for understanding what it means to say, I've been crucified with Christ. And that will give us a proper perspective for, for us to live by as Christians. Okay, next stop is Romans chapter 6, where we see this baptism word again, and everything starts to make sense. We start to develop a mental picture of something that God saw, or I should say God so mercifully saw from his point of view. We need to get a look at what he saw when Jesus died on the cross. But no man saw this. No man saw this. We didn't have this vantage point. We take this by faith. We're Nor actually did they understand it, Steve. No. The two disciples scratched their heads when he said, Can you undergo the baptism? I'm about to go. And then he says, You do. You will. Yes. They they Now Paul's gonna explain it. 
just as everybody in the listening audience is confused. We were, everybody's just as confused as the disciples were, but it's all going to come together and we're going to see what a truth it tells us. So let me just sort of paraphrase Romans 6 so I can go through it and highlight the points. Yes. He starts out in chapter 6. What shall we say? Asking a question. Shall we continue in sin? It is a noun. Mm -hmm. Different podcast. Mm -hmm. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, mea noia. Absolutely not. We died. What? We died to the sin. How can we live in it any longer? There's that thought again. Just makes a statement. Yes, we've died. Isn't that what Jesus said? Isn't that what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 14? Yes. The love of Christ compels me because I'm convinced that one died on behalf of all. Well, here he says it. What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin? Mayanoia. Absolutely not. Heck no. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? So what does that mean? He's What he said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. He was the kernel of wheat. And he said, I will be lifted up on the cross. And when I do, I will draw all to myself. Speaking of all judgment and all men, both included. All judgment was put on Jesus and all men were included in this judgment. The cross was the judgment of the world. Right, and all people were baptized into Christ. Completely identified with his death. Yes, when he was up on the cross, you remember everybody talking about it, right? All the Jewish community talking about how all the people went into Christ when he was on the cross? No, see, nobody saw all of humanity being baptized or drawn into Christ. Christ just said that would happen. But from God's vantage point, here we go. This is what puts it in perspective. From God's vantage point, he saw all people baptized into Christ and die and become buried and then raised from the grave with Christ. And we can even show you the verses that that talk about this, but they're all talking about something that God saw from his vantage point and no human has ever seen. That's an eternal point of view that we have to take by faith. Because God said it. Did you hear that? Say that again, Bill. Say it as loudly as possible. The idea that all people were included in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and judged is an eternal point of view seen by God not seen by man not seen by man we have to take it by faith the evidence of things not seen just because he says it yes eternal truths are all taken by faith they are realities that God saw from his vantage point and just think how merciful God was to see that 
from his vantage point to see all people be baptized into Christ and pay their sin debt. Do you realize we all paid our sin debt? Our judicial sin debt was death. The wages of sin is death. We paid those wages when Christ was put on the cross only because God saw all of humanity baptized into Christ when he was put on that cross and our judicial sin debt was paid once and for all, paid in full. And that's just one of three very important aspects of being identified in his death, burial, and resurrection. The first one is probably the biggest, that he who's died, which is right there four verses later in 6-7, he who's died Romans 6-7. Yeah, Romans 6-7, he who's died has been acquitted from all sin, or justified from all sin. All sin has been paid for. All sin has been paid for, and you can't pay for it a second time. No. It was paid in full. And I believe that was the last words Jesus said on the cross. It is finished, finished. which means paid in full. So that's one aspect. Then it says that we were buried with him, and then we were raised to life. It says that in Romans 6. Those three, four, and five. five. It says it in Colossians chapter two. And another place it says it is in Ephesians chapter two. All these passages are saying that from God's point of view, you died with Christ, his merciful point of view. You died with Christ, you were buried with Christ, you were raised with Christ and you are actually seated in heaven from God's point of view. That was in Colossians 3 also, verse 3. For you died and your life is hid now hid with Christ in God. That's where he says, set your mind on things above. above. And set your affection on things above. For you died in your life is hid with Christ and God. It's a hidden thing. Yes, we can't see it. That, do, do you get it, you guys? We're expected to believe what Christ saw happen when Jesus was hung on the cross and when he died and was buried and then resurrected. God saw a huge miracle take place and we were involved in it. He saw our death, burial, and resurrection with Christ. He mercifully saw that with his eyes and says, that's the way it is. Your sin debt is paid. I'm declaring your sin debt paid because I saw you die. I'm saying it. I'm God. What I say is the truth. And the truth of the matter is you died with Christ and you paid your sin debt in full. That's where I started off the podcast saying it's kind of a judicial payment that God was taking care of when he saw what he saw happen through Christ. And Paul is convinced of it. 
He says, I'm convinced yeah. the love of Christ compels me, constrains me. It's got me hemmed in on all sides is what it literally means. Because I'm convinced of this truth that if one died on behalf of all, then everyone died. Okay. Do you see we're expected to accept that by faith and be just as convinced as Paul was? He says, I'm convinced of this thing. The gospel convinced me of it, that in God's eyes I paid my sin debt. The wages of sin is death, and I died. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. All those passages now should make sense. From God's point of view, this happened. And for us, we accept it by faith, even though we see ourselves sitting in front of a mirror in the 21st century saying, I'm alive, I'm alive. Well, from God's point of view, judicially speaking, you've died and paid your sin debt. It's good news. It's euangelion. It is very good news, and it is the center point argument in Romans 6. He says, don't you know this? Right. He, he, you have to know this. If you don't know it, you, you can go anywhere with this. And we hope so much that you know it now. It took us years for this to sink in, but hopefully it will start sinking in for you because it's an important thought for the 21st century Christian. There's three distinct bonuses, yes, for lack of a better word, for our death, burial, and resurrection identity with Christ. There's three amazing truths that we need to see that will help us understand the covenant we live in and will help us really see and really never be tempted to go back to the old covenant or be tempted to ever think we're under obligation to the Mosaic covenant. And it starts here in 6.3. Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. I hope we know that. If you don't believe it yet, ask the Spirit to compel you like Paul did and convince you. So, knowing that all of us were baptized into his death, there's a logical conclusion. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Literally, freshness of life. We were raised to walk in freshness of life. We were made to live by the Spirit. From this point on, we were made to live by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, a new and living way. So why is it important that he says we were we died and we were buried? We paid for the sin debt. The one who has died has been acquitted from his sins. He's that paid is, his sins in full. Sorry to interrupt. I get excited, Steve. Yeah. Why is that important that we see that the one who's died, one has been acquitted from all sin, which is... 6-6 six, six and 6-7 six, but also 
Why is it important, Steve, to see that we were released? I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. Yes. Romans 7 says that the law has authority over a person only as long as they live. But when they die, the law has no No. more authority over them. Why is that important? See, that's another benefit of being able to look in the mirror and say, even though I've had a bad day, I've been crucified with Christ because now you believe it by faith. One of the benefits is that you will not put yourself back under the law. And try and attain a righteousness that comes from obeying completely the whole law. And get started again what the next verse says when it says the sinful passions which were aroused by the law if you understand that you paid your debt to the law and you have have died to the law, you can realize that you should not go back to the law where the sinful passions become aroused again. So we don't live by the law because it has no more authority. We yeah. live, as he says, in freshness of life. Yes. A new way of life that he calls a way of life in Christ a way of life led by the Holy Spirit in every aspect of our life. Those are the three benefits to our death, burial, and resurrection. One, we died, all sin was paid, we were released from the law, and we were buried so that we could be resurrected to live a brand new life under a new covenant called the new covenant or the covenant of the Spirit. See, and once you absorb this truth and accept it by faith, then you'll no longer be swayed by people who say, God will not be pleased with you if you do not do X, Y, and Z, or whatever verb they're talking about. And they try and tell you to do it correctly so that you'll be pleasing to God you'll realize that you're not under obligation because your sin debt has been paid by God and what he so mercifully saw happen with Jesus on the cross. And you don't have to go back to that performance treadmill because you've already been given an A. You are pleasing to God. Ephesians chapter 1 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ, because he chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. We're holy and blameless because of what he saw happen at the cross when Christ died. We are holy and blameless, so do not let anybody tell you in a sermon that you're not pleasing to God and you've got to tighten up so that you'll be pleasing to God. You're holy and blameless in his sight because of this huge miracle that Christ and God pulled off at the cross, a miracle that the devil and his angels did not see coming and would love to convince you otherwise and would love to convince you otherwise that's a good point bill that's but a that's good one point. of those eternal truths again isn't it steve yes blessed with every spiritual blessing in christ holy blameless joined to him bone of his bone flesh of his flesh 
He's done it all. Yes. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe God when he said you're holy and blameless in my sight after you've had a bad day? You've got to believe God. You're holy and blameless in his sight because all those things you did today that you're embarrassed for, he died for those to make you holy and blameless in his sight. So you are indeed holy and blameless in his sight. So don't let what you hear day after day after day after day about having the burden of pleasing God, don't let that get to you. Don't become captive to that argument. Man, guard dog, Steve, I was so captive to that argument that right on, right after the very verse that we've just quoted like five times, I think, on this podcast, we're convinced that if one died for all, therefore all died. Then it says, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. The same thing it says in Ephesians. Old things have passed away. Behold, check it out. All things are new. All this is from God. I never got that far. I just read, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things are new. That's what Ephesians just said. That's what Paul just said in Romans 6, that we've been buried with him and we've been raised to walk in newness of life. Well, he says it here, that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that to me, Steve, didn't mean what you just said. I didn't have that understanding. So it became a goal verse for me or maybe a target verse. Does that make sense? So sad to say, but I was right there with you, man. It got me too. So I would say... If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Now, I couldn't claim that. I couldn't claim it by faith because I didn't know what you just said about this identification with Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, and his life now, holy and blameless declaration from God. All I knew was maybe someday that's a goal that I can... I can really claim to be a new creation, that I can really say old things have passed away, that I can really say all things have become new. But right then I I couldn't say it because I didn't see old things passing away. Did you? No, I would say, no, I'm right here. I haven't died. I haven't died. I I didn't know that judicially. And I went about trying to stop doing old things mm-hmm. and start doing new things. So the old things really started happening a lot more, huh? <laughs> <laughs> they compounded. Yeah. They multiplied. And so I set it as a a target verse. You ever been told to have a target verse? <laughs> <laughs> the things we listen to what a truth that is old things have passed away all things are behold all things are new yes and that is one of those redneck Greek word study coming up here that is one of those aorist tense verses 
that it happened at a time in the past with present tense results. And the best way to describe it is, borrow our old buddy Kenneth Wiest here, he said this verse is like a parade. If you look at a parade from the top of a tall building, you have the aorist tense verse. You have the beginning, the middle, the end. You see it all at once. You see the parade. If you're looking at from the street, you're looking at the middle, the beginning, the middle, and the end. So God gives us this aorist tense perspective that you see that, wait a minute, I completely died with Christ, completely identified with his death and burial. Old things have passed away. That was the old Adamic life, passed away. And all things are new. Now we see the the newness of the resurrection. The temporal things are still happening and they're still real, but they're not the eternal point of view that we're to live by. No, I think we need to talk about the temporal things next podcast. I do too, because it's it's awesome news. Yes. And, and we're not gonna call it positional righteousness. Right, right, right. You are righteous. Yes. And that's what we want to focus on today so that we can end the podcast on a positive note. Believe this truth to be absolutely true. I'd say it's a good time to close and a good prayer to close would be for Father God, fill us with your love. Convince us that when Jesus died, he died for all. Not only me, but the people around me so that I don't live in a comparison Christianity where I'm better than that person because I don't do those things. That's death, Father God. Pray that your Holy Spirit would give us the eternal perspective of seeing everyone around us blessed with every spiritual blessing. Seeing everyone around us as holy and blameless in your sight. Seeing everyone around us as a new creation. And seeing the things that annoy us and the things that we do that annoy other people as passed away. And have this perspective that, behold, check it out, all things are new. Because you say this, all this is from you, who's reconciled us to yourself. You reconciled us to you, Father God. Help us understand that, that we don't try to get ourselves, you, reconciled to us. You already did it. Your death on the cross reconciled us to you once and for all. Give us this eternal point of view. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you guys. We love you. Good night. Good night.